0: Alright guys, you are locked on Falcons I'm your host Darren Freeman And today we are talking about the promotion of assistant coach Ben Steele As well as the potential status of Austin Hooper And whether or not his exit is inevitable in Atlanta You are locked on Falcons Your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network Your team every day All right, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at FalcFans and, of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked on Falcons podcast your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about the promotion of tight end coach Ben Steele to that position, as well as talking about a recent article or a recent blurb from ESPN's Vaughn McClure about Once again, predicting Austin Hooper's exit from the Atlanta Falcons this offseason in free agency, and we'll get into some of the hows and whys and thoughts on that later on in episode. But uh, without further ado, let's jump into that Ben Steele story as our Locked On Falcons lead story. So the Atlanta Falcons made it official. Ben Steele is now their new tight ends coach. It was the one remaining vacancy on the team's coaching staff, and it's a move that's been expected. Over the last month, Steele is a former NFL player at the tight end position. He was a journeyman, played for six teams across seven seasons from 2001 to 2007. His only NFL game action came with the Green Bay Packers in 2004 and 2005, and he caught four combined passes across 17 games in those two seasons shortly after ending his playing career he got into coaching bouncing around for several seasons at his alma mater at Mesa State, the University of Colorado the University of California holding various low level positions as an offensive assistant and recruiting assistant. His first big break came in 2013 when he served as a Titans coach at UC Davis. The following year he made the jump to the pros as an offensive quality control coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After two seasons in that role he was able to remain in that same role in 2016 when current Falcons offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter took over the reins as the Buccaneers head coach from Lovey Smith. Then the Buccaneers lost their tight end coach in John Embry to Kyle Shanahan's San Francisco 49ers staff in 2017, and Steele was promoted to tight end coach and served in that capacity for the next two seasons under Cutter. Both Cutter and Steele then joined the Falcons this past year in 2019 Cutter, of course, as the offensive coordinator and Steele as an offensive assistant. This past January, Falcons tight end coach Mike Malarkey retired after one season in that role at the age of 58. And that led to, of course, Steele's promotion into Malarkey's vacated role. Steele's former connections with the Tampa area allowed him to land gigs the past two years working as a coach for the East West Shrine Bowl, which is played in St. Petersburg, Florida. A year ago, Steele served as the coordinator for one of the teams before getting the bump and promotion this past year as the head coach of the West team in the annual All-Star game held last month. That all-star game, of course, features um, some of the best college football players and draft prospects nationwide. Unfortunately for Steele, his first taste of being a head coach resulted in a 31-27 to loss by the West team to the East team in this past January Shrine Bowl. As we get nearer to the draft, I think we'll have to start to pay a little bit more attention to some of those players that suited up for the West squad in that Shrine Bowl since Steele got the opportunity to work with those guys firsthand. And that could give the Falcons additional insight into their mental makeups and work ethic as part of the draft evaluation process. The Falcons already have a tendency to draft prospects from all-star games. And the fact that Steele was up close and personal only increases the odds that they go after several of those players come April. And perhaps even a tight end could be on the Falcons radar, given the questionable status of looming free agent Austin Hooper. And we will talk about that coming up on today's podcast. But before we get there, you know, it's trade season in the NBA, and you guys can get the latest on the Atlanta Hawks trade of Clint Capella. On the Locked On Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Rowland on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So, what prompted this conversation, in addition to we're talking tight ends with the promotion of Ben Steele, but also the fact that ESPN's Von McClure continues to predict. Austin Hooper's exit in his latest article from ESPN per McClure. He predicts that the Falcons will lose free agent tight end Austin Hooper to the Packers. Sure. They'll offer Hooper a contract before free agency, but it won't be enough to satisfy the two-time pro bowler and the Packers with more cap space and coach Matt LaFour's familiarity with Hooper will make a move. This is the second time this offseason that McClure has predicted the Falcons will let Hooper walk and we won't necessarily get, too much into whether Hooper is going to be gone or stay on today's podcast. We'll certainly dance around that. I tweeted the other day, um, I think it was over the weekend about Arthur Blank's sort of lukewarm comments in terms of whether or not the team was going to bring back Hooper. And usually Arthur Blake is pretty gung ho when it comes to talking about keeping various Falcon free agents. And, you know, he said this to McClure last week ahead of the Super Bowl. I quote, I think he's worthy certainly of a new contract based on the market, whether that fits in with us or a salary cap remains to be seen. And it should be noted in that same article from McClure blank talked about Vic Beasley and how he improved in the second half of 2019 and how the decision to retain him was up to the coaches in front office. Then of course, three days later, the Falcons officially announced that Beasley wouldn't be back. But as I tweeted before, Dimitrov has been lukewarm on the idea of keeping Hooper in his public statement. Blank seemed to be pretty lukewarm about it in his statements last week. And the Falcons haven't necessarily begun negotiations, although perhaps they reached out earlier this week. And that was part of the process of why they felt it was necessary to release publicly that they weren't negotiating with with Beasley as they were reaching out to all the various free agents that are looming. Of course, I still think it's a little weird that they announced publicly that they weren't going to negotiate with Beasley on Monday, but you know, that's a conversation for another day, which we had on this podcast earlier this week. So go check that out on the lockdown Falcons podcast, your favorite daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. But if the Falcons are prepared to let Hooper walk, I think, they've kind of mostly hit the talking points that they've needed to in order to make that happen. They can now basically say if, and when that happens, well, we tried to re-sign Hooper, but you know, we just couldn't come to terms at the right price tag and everything that they've said so far sort of meshes with that sort of eventuality. And rather than what we've seen in previous years when it comes to the Falcons and and sort of being like, this guy's going to be a Falcon for life. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily going to go too, too deep on, on that today um, because I do think contract negotiations with Hooper will probably heat up later this month. Once we get to the combine, as they often do as former NFL executive, Andrew Brent often says deadlines do spur action. And really the deadline for the Falcons when it comes to Hooper, aren't really until March. So really, you know, not basically what I'm saying is don't expect a whole lot of movement in early February, really on any contracts across the league. It's really late February, early March when these things pick up. But in terms of deadlines, you're looking at March 16th being an obvious one. That's when the legal tamping period begins for free agents. Obviously if, I don't think a deal is done by then. The chances of getting it done before free agency kicks off officially on March 18th, I think is virtually zero. Um, Another deadline to sort of keep in mind is the week before that, which is March 10th, which is the last day that a team can decide to put a franchise or transition tag on a player and like McClure has written a couple of times now, I highly doubt the Falcons are going to tag Hooper. I think if that was really on the table, then I think some of the talking points you've heard from Blankin and Dimitrov would be a lot different. You'd be hearing more things along the lines of how big a priority Austin Hooper is, how much they want to get a deal done and, and those sorts of things and making him a Falcon for life, as we've heard many times with other free agents. Um But The hope right now I think is that when Dimitrov and Dan Quinn get up in front of the podium – come the combine later this month in late February, some of their updates when various local and national media people ask them specific questions about Austin Hooper, hopefully they'll have a little bit more optimism when it comes to discussing the progress of those negotiations. So again, it's one of those things where I don't necessarily at this point in time in the calendar year, I don't want to overreact to anything. Um, I still think there's a pretty good chance that the deal will get done. You know, let's say I'm 62% confident or 62% optimistic that a deal will get done with Hooper before any of those deadlines i just mentioned um but as we get further along this month particularly this month in february that percentage will probably begin to sort of dip and drop as my optimism becomes less and less uh until we hear some of those updates about you know the team's optimism uh about getting a deal done so that's part of the reason why I'm not going to necessarily get too, too deep in, in the idea of whether we should or should not keep Hooper. I've touched upon it before. Obviously, if you've been listening to this podcast pretty regularly over the last, like what, six months, I have been very vocally saying that I think the Falcons should, but at the same time, I'm starting to mentally and emotionally prepare myself for the possibility that the Falcons won't re-sign Hooper. But in terms of, You know, Hooper going to the Packers, that's an interesting question. And we'll get a little bit more deeper into sort of whether or not Hooper is going to have a robust and whether a team like the Packers or somebody else might really try to lure him away from Atlanta coming up on today's podcast. But before we get there, it's not just the offseason for the NFL, it's also the offseason for Major League Baseball. And you can check out the locked-on. MLB podcast with Sully and get his thoughts on all the things going around this offseason for Major League Baseball on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So, as Von McClure mentioned in that article, he, he's projecting the Packers to go after Hooper. You know, I think the Patriots are a team that's long been sort of rumored to be very high on Austin Hooper. You know, I've been told before that the Patriots, when they initially called to make that trade for the Sanu. They were calling to try to acquire Austin Hooper. The Falcons shut that down. And then they sort of moved on and said, no, you know, you got this guy by the name of Muhammad Sanu, this running back that you might want to take off our hands. And the Patriots were amenable to that for the price of a second round pick. I've also been told that I think in the summer when the Patriots acquired Eric Saubert, I think they put out feelers for Austin Hooper. Then, um, just to sort of see like where the Falcons were at as far as that went. Um, but obviously the Falcons weren't listening to that and wound up dealing him Eric Saubert. So it's one of those things where you're like, okay, yeah, once Hooper's available, the Patriots will go after him. But we'll see. I, I've seen a lot of – I've read a lot of articles saying that the Patriots, that's not usually their ML to spend the money on opposing teams' free agents. But it will be interesting to sort of see like the argument the, – the article I read was basically the Patriots – one of the – pitches that the Patriots will make in order to because they're going to have to recruit Tom Brady to come back is to make significant investments in their offense And the article I read was basically they mentioned Hooper and AJ Green by name as two signings that the Patriots could wind up going after as a way to sort of be like Tom come back and and, and whatever so it'll be interesting to sort of see how that goes but in terms of the Packers as Vaughn McClure predicts you know that move Definitely makes sense because you have the Matt LeFleur connection. There is also the expectation that the Packers are going to move on from Jimmy Graham this Austin. Awesome. He'll be a cap cut. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why people like Von McClure, people like myself, or anybody out there, may feel not super optimistic that a deal will get done for the Falcons with Hooper because it seems like there's going to be a robust market market for Hooper. You're you got several teams in my opinion that could look for upgrades at the tight end position and potentially have the money to spend. Miami is another team that immediately comes to mind, you know, and I think the issue, the Falcons are going to deal deal with. And again, based off of their talking points when they're talking about price tags, which is something that the Falcons haven't usually talked about in the past. It's funny because Dimitrov sort of has been very vocally being like our cap situation is fine. But then you have Arthur Blank saying like, well, it kind of depends on what, what the price is with Austin Hooper. So uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting to sort of see somewhat mixed signals there. But I think because of that, my expectation is the Falcons are going to want to try to keep Hooper on a quote unquote team friendly deal something as low as possible. um, Similar to what they did with Dion Jones and Ricardo Allen. You can argue they did with Grady Jarrett and, you know, Using the term team friendly with some of those deals is certainly a debatable term, but at least in my opinion, sort of what I thought the market would be. And, and it's fair enough to say that I just got it wrong. And so therefore, you know, saying it's team friendly just because you were wrong about what their markets were going to be, Aaron, uh, is not necessarily something that makes a lot of sense. But look, it's my podcast. So everything I say is gospel. Uh- <laughs> But you know when you go back to those 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 contracts, particularly like Grady Jarrett. You remember we heard the rumor from Von McClure. Of course, um, he wasn't the only one that put this out there. But you know it was reported that Grady Jarrett was seeking Aaron Donald money from various people and sources and insiders and and whatnot. And I, you know one of the things we talked about in last year's. Last spring was like, I don't, I wasn't really buying that, but it was out there that people were saying that. And that was like 20 million plus Jared wound up settling, quote unquote, settling for, you know, only quote unquote, only $17 million a year. But it was notable because he didn't surpass Fletcher Cox's $17.1 million a year annual average. So we, you know, my expectation was he was going to get into 18 plus, um, then you had Dion Jones getting about 14.25 million a year. And my expectation was that he was potentially going to eclipse or push the CJ Mosley of $17 million a year. And then you look at the guarantees in Debo's deal. It's really kind of a three year, a half dollar deal. So it's really kind of averaging less than 12 million a year, uh, just based off of the guarantees, which is considerably lower than what sort of CJ Mosley and, and some others got. Um, You know, Bobby Wagner got like 54 over three years on his deal. And then you look at the Ricardo Allen, he got six and a half million dollars a year. But essentially, that was a contract that the Falcons could have gotten out of after one season. So that's what I mean by team friendly. It's like, okay, we're just giving you, you know, X amount of dollars for one year. And I think my guess is the Falcons are going to want to try to do that with Austin Hooper and sort of. All along and certainly during the fall, when I was talking about Hooper, my my thought process was, Oh, you know, they might wind up giving him a deal that's ten million dollars a year, but similar to sort of Debo, it might just wind up being like a three year, twenty-five million dollar deal. So it's really like he's averaging like eight, eight and a half or something like that million a year, and when you look at the actual contract and, and sort of what it entails as opposed to what the the, the big number is. And part of the reasons why I was optimistic that they would be able to get a deal done was because essentially, as I said, with the Debo deal, he signed for considerably less than what I thought. You know, basically, you could argue based off of what Bobby Wagner got and what Mosley was getting, the Falcons saved like $20 million on the Debo deal. And that $20 million could have been put towards keeping guys like Hooper and Campbell. And that was one of the things that I think we discussed last summer when that deal was was done. But of course, you know, now we know a little bit better. And really, I think the thing that's been very problematic for the Falcons, at least in sort of the optimism that I was expressing for basically the last six months has sort of changed to a lot more pessimism in terms of their cap situation is because of the factor that the Falcon that this year is the final year of this current collective bargaining agreement in this 30% rule is really kind of throwing a wrench into the Falcons plans. Um, And you couple that with the fact that there's going to be probably a, a fairly robust market for Hooper. I don't know if there's as much incentive for him to sort of take a quote unquote team friendly or deal. And, um, you know, we'll see what's out there, uh, in terms of whether or not the Falcons come correct. And I certainly think Hooper deserves to get paid as much money as he possible. I'll never sort of speak on a player, um, not getting, paid the maximum amount of dollars. Certainly. I think there are times in the, in the past and probably in the future where I think it doesn't make a ton of sense for a player to try to use leverage in situations where I don't think they have leverage. Um, But, you know, other than that, it's like, if, if you're due to get paid, get, get as much money as you can. So, Um, I know there's a lot of other people out there and this has been something that we've discussed quite a bit over the last six months is a lot of people don't think Hooper is deserving of $10 million a year. And that's, that's a fair opinion. I don't necessarily agree with you, but I thought it was notable in that ESPN article that we're referring to from Von McClure is that the guy that covers the 49ers, Nick Wagner predicted that George Kittle was going to get an extension later this offseason in the 12 to $14 million a year range, which I think, could be another low estimate. But again, I, I, tend to, you know, I tend to be a greedy agent and, and try to push it as much as I can. Um, you can call me Carl Poston, Um, but, uh, you know, that's a reference that like four of you might get, but, um, you know, I think that's one of the arguments I've used in the past in, in discussing paying Hooper because, you know, a lot, a lot of people sort of say like, Oh, well, you know, $10 million is like, makes him the highest paid tight end in the league and he's not the best tight end in the league and they shouldn't pay him like he's an elite tight end but the the issue that i think a lot of people don't understand when they make those arguments is the tight end market hasn't moved in in recent years and it's about to move a lot in the next 6 months uh really in the next couple month and then you know in the next 6 months after there once kid will probably get paid over the summer once you know all the other free agents like the Hoopers and Hunter Henry's get paid and Eric Ebron's get paid this offseason in March. And then Kittle gets his money. And then you also have guys like John O Smith and O.J. Howard and Evan Ingram on the verge of potentially hitting free agency in twenty twenty one. Then you're gonna have uh Dallas Goddard and Mark Andrews in twenty twenty two. Then you I think Kelsey and, and Zach Ertz also become free agents. Then they'll be a little bit older at that point in time. Um, but they could get, you know, pretty decent money on their, you know quote unquote, final contracts. Then the year after that, it was what TJ Hawkinson, and Noah fan, Irv Smith, Dawson Knox, basically all the guys from this past year's draft class. So really in the next two to three years, $10 million a year for Austin Hooper might wind up looking like a bargain when you compare it to, you know, the guys that are getting, you know, potentially Kittle moving the market to like 14, 15, possibly even higher million a year. And there's going to be a pretty big gap. And so you may get into a situation like two years from now, you know, you know, a month from now, Austin Hooper might be the highest paid tight end in the league, but then two years from now, he might not even be in the top seven. So I think that's something that people that have been, Talking about what, quote unquote, Austin Hooper is worth need to factor in into that conversation. And then when you factor in the fact that the CBA is about to get renewed at some point, you know, again, I've been long pessimistic that there may be a prolonged lockout, but we'll see how that goes. Um, But, you know, it eventually a CBA will get done, you know, when that is who knows some people projecting it this off season. Some people are project, you know, again, you could go the opposite way and say it won't get done this off season. There'll be a, we'll we'll lose a season, but eventually it'll get done. Anyway, again, that's a conversation for another day, but usually what happens when a new CBA is signed, you get a big influx of cash. Uh, That's what happened the last time the CBA was extended. So again, maybe it's a bad assumption, but I'm assuming you'll see a similar thing. So again, if there's a big influx of sort of, how much money teams can spend, you know, in the next two to three years, that will also increase the price tag of some of these tight ends. So again, that's something else that people need to keep in mind. But as we sort of discussed on yesterday's episode, I certainly could see the Falcons passing on Hooper and trying to give that money instead to a difference maker on the defensive line. Um, And we'll see how that goes, because I know one of the other variables that a lot of people used in favor of letting Hooper walk is the idea that they'll get a comp pick and I'm not an expert on how the comp compensatory pick formula works, but from what I understand, it's basically like if, if let's say Hooper signs for $10 million a year elsewhere, and you know, that would be worth like a third or fourth round pick in terms of a comp pick. If the Falcons go out there and then go sign someone like a Dante Fowler or someone who costs somewhere around $10 million or more, then it basically cancels each other out. So they're not going to get a comp pick. And so it's one of those things where, You know, if the Falcons let Hooper walk and they let Beasley walk and let Campbell walk, yeah, they could get comp picks for all three of those guys probably, you know, third – fifth, sixth round picks or whatever the case may be. But if they sign anybody of similar value to what those guys are making in terms of their annual contracts, it cancels each other out. So if they went out and and spent the money that they would quote unquote normally pay for those three guys on, you know, pass rushers or offensive linemen or whatever, they wouldn't wind up getting a comp pick. So again, that's another thing that people should factor in before they start saying like, Oh, we'll get a comp pick for Hooper. And that's why we, you know, we'll get a third round pick or a fourth round pick for Hooper, and that's worthwhile for us. Not necessarily, is what I'm sitting here saying. But I think it's going to be interesting to sort of see what the Falcons do. This is going to be my last thought for today's episode because last offseason, we saw the Falcons kind of forego making major investments in their defense because I think they believed that they had already assembled the necessary talent to be good on that side of the ball, and they wanted to put money in their offensive line because I think they were hoping that, you know, they didn't want to necessarily quote unquote, roll the dice on rookies because rookies are notoriously unreliable. And so they wanted to get some proven veterans on the offensive line that could make that could pay off immediately. Um, And, you know, as we discussed in the podcast a year ago, I thought that was questionable given how weak the free agent crop of offensive linemen was and that the draft crop, relatively speaking was a lot stronger and that if you really wanted to move the needle forward from an offensive line standpoint, you needed to invest draft picks in that position rather than free agent dollars there. Um, And you know, that proved to be pretty true, at least We know that we got more out of Chris Lindstrom in five games than we really got out of James Carpenter over, you know, however many games he wound up playing. Jamon Brown was decent. Uh, Caleb McGarry was decent as well. But you know how that went. And so I wonder if the Falcons are going to make kind of the opposite decision this offseason. I'm curious to sort of see how they're handling that and whether we see them spend a lot of money to upgrade their front seven in a free agency. And they will trust that they've already assembled the, uh, the talent necessary to improve on the offensive side of the ball. If they can add a couple of rookies here or there and also sort of ride the quote unquote year two bump that they could potentially get from cutter that they got from Shanahan and Sarkeesian. And, you know, I've sat here and said on this podcast that I do think it's likely that they'll get a bump from cutter in year two. Um, How much of a bump, I think remains to be seen. And I certainly think if they lose Hooper, it's going to be a lot harder for that bump to be a significant one um, because you're going to be asking Matt Ryan to build a rapport with a brand new tight end and rookie tight ends are notoriously not good. And so does that mean they go after a veteran or whatever the case may be? Who knows at this point in time, but I think, you know, one of my stronger arguments is like, if you don't think Hooper is worth the money or whatever, the Falcons need to quote unquote, sacrifice or whatever and let Hooper walk so that they can upgrade other spots. I don't necessarily like, I don't necessarily agree with that, but at the same time, I think that's a valid argument that you can make where I tend to sort of butt heads with people is the people that sit here and like, act like losing Hooper doesn't cost a thing. You know, it's like, Oh, well it's not a big deal. Jaden Graham's just as good. Any, you know, They can get a rookie tight end that's going to come in right away and be just as good or better. I think that's people really either overestimating how good the Jaden Grahams and the various rookie tight end prospects are and or really underestimating how good Austin Hooper is, you know, and that's where I kind of butt heads with folks where it's like, yeah, you can sit there and think that the Falcons are going to have to, you know, quote unquote sacrifice, but it is a sacrifice. You're going to lose something if you let Austin Hooper walk. And whether or not you can make that up, to me, is going to be a big question. So I don't know what the Falcons going to wind up doing, and, and I'll probably wind up spending the next three to four weeks on this podcast talking out loud about the various scenarios and playing out different scenarios. But I, of course, welcome all of your feedback on what you think could or should or will happen in regards to Austin Hooper or free agency or the draft or whatever the case you guys think uh whatever you want to talk about for the offseason and of course you can hit me up on locked on falcons on twitter and facebook as well as the email address which is locked on falcons at mail.com until then guys you are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the atlanta falcons part of the locked on podcast network your team every day All right, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm the host. All right, guys, you know me, I'm <laughs> wow, I butchering this intro. All right, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman on Twitter. Oh, my God, why can't I do this intro? Why is my brain hurting? No, this will make a great outtake.